Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome back to my podcast. So excited to be here again. Two weeks in a row. Look at me. I am very excited to, as I shared last time, continue on in a more regular fashion. Hmm. So I've been thinking and maybe plotting a little bit to get some really interesting topics on here and maybe some people. I'm sort of used to podcasting alone and honestly that's my preferred method. Not because I don't like people but just because it's easier and pretty therapeutic And I don't have to worry about anybody else. I don't have to worry about them showing up or what their sound quality is or any of those things. But I may include some guests in the next couple of weeks. If they appear, we shall see. Short update before I get into midwives overusing technology, something that's been on my mind. Hmm, what to update with? Well, we're in the middle of a birthday blitz here at our house. We had Tallulah's 17th birthday. And we are headed towards Rumi's third birthday. And then just a couple of days after that, we have Amelia, who will be 21. It's a fun time of year for that. And I don't know about you if you've had babies before, but... It really is like your body remembers, even when the experience of birth was 17 or even 21 years ago, there's something usually just in the weather even that feels like your body remembers this time of year. And of course, the weather is an interesting topic here on this island. There isn't really a fall as many of you know it. And as we have known it the last couple of years, so cozy sweaters, pumpkin spice, uh, it's really funny and weird to see that in the stores here. And just today, we passed Christmas decorations and Christmas pajamas and slippers and all of the normal stuff that occupies the average store. Um, But it's something that makes me chuckle because it's like, who's going to wear that here? I mean, you'd have to literally like crank your AC in your car or something to put on a Christmas sweater. So I don't know. Maybe it's not for people here. Maybe it's for people traveling um, away from here. Point being that it doesn't feel like fall in the same way. But I have noticed, and I'm sure this is not new to anybody that has lived in a tropical place, There is a shift, like there definitely is a shift and it's really subtle. So the high temperatures during the day are still pretty warm. 
I think it's almost 86 degrees here and it's not even 11 o'clock in the morning. So it's been getting hot still. We've been told that's unusual for this time of year. I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, so it's still hot, but at sunrise and at sunset, it definitely is cooler than it's been. And you can feel this, again, very nuanced, slight fall feeling in the air occasionally. It's very cool. I actually really like it. And uh, so for missing out on fall, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. And I think when the gray skies roll around for the winter on the East Coast and, you know, in the Midwestern part of the U.S., I will be even more glad because I really, really struggled, as many of you know, and as many of you do with the darkness of the winter. Something to think about, though, because I know there is a point, um, there is a reason that we need rest, right? That even the plants and the trees die for the winter. Everything needs a rest. So I will be rethinking that on my own terms here. And maybe I'll share that at some point, just how to still incorporate, you know, perhaps this winterized feeling that the nervous system and the body still have a chance to uh, regroup. And I think that's important. So I don't think one has to be wearing sweaters and experience snow for that, although that might make it easier. But I think the idea of hibernating in a sense and even creatively kind of going dormant for a little while, it isn't a bad idea. So I'm going to feel into that. I'll let you know. I'll let you know what I come up with, how, how I decide to be with that here in the tropics where there most certainly won't be a physical need for any kind of hibernation. In fact, it might be hard, right? That's what I'm thinking. It might be hard, but maybe it won't if it's a mindset. If it's a mindset of, hey, the next couple of months, just kind of laying low, um, no, no launch of new projects, and waiting for that winter solstice, uh, which I've always honored, no matter where I've lived. We've always honored that and I'm not sure how we'll do that here. I don't think we'll be building a fire. <laughs> That's what we usually do, but I know we'll honor it. So it's an adventure. Life is a grand adventure, and it has really been an adventure here. One fun update that has nothing to do with anything I've shared is my dog, Henna, is finally kind of swimming in the ocean. And that's a really big win if you know her at all because she's uh, got pretty intense separation anxiety. And that's relatively new. I think some of that is definitely due to the um, massive trip she had to take from the mainland. She was in transit for 24 hours. And, you know, who knows what goes on there? I'm sure people were nice to her. That's not the point. But she was in a crate and she didn't know where she was going. And can you imagine, right, the sounds and the smells of being put in a cargo plane? Whew. So I'm not um, holding on to any guilt there because she's here and she's really happy. She's actually lost a lot of weight, which uh, for a dog feels important because, you know, I'm, I'm in control of that, essentially. Uh, she's looking really healthy and she started swimming. And it wasn't without... Uh, really convincing her. 
She has enjoyed snapping at the waves. She kind of gets angry at them. And that was funny. And it prevented her from really getting in. But this last week, for whatever planetary ecological reason, I'm not sure, the ocean has been really still. It it shifted today, but for the last week, it's been like a lake. So it was a great time to get her in because there really weren't any waves. And I just kind of yanked her in behind me and ran, (laughs) ran into the ocean. And she had no choice but to keep up. And she can swim, of course. Most dogs can, whether they like it or not. And so now it feels like she's a little bit more willing. And it feels like she understands when I say, let's go swimming. And she'll come in with me at least for a minute or two. Other than that, um, I usually like tie her to a log or something when I'm going to swim and nobody else is around. And she just barks the whole time. She's kind of a fool, but that's her way of communicating. And that's kind of how it's been. So little baby steps, much like a child does uh, upon a major move and relocation. (sighs) Okay, thanks for humoring my dog mom story. I am definitely a dog mom. Missing my other dogs as well. Uh, But just trying to be in the here and now and enjoying Henna for being the only dog. She really enjoys that. So, okay, onwards. I wanted to talk today about the ways I think midwives are overusing technology. This came up in a student meeting. So Indie Birth Midwifery School students, if you didn't know, are really lucky, I think. They have a meeting every Wednesday and a lot of people show up. You know, we have a lot of students and the call is hosted either by me, Margot, or someone else that we trust and we would love for our students to experience. But last week it was my turn and I really enjoy these calls because our students are great and they always have intelligent, fun things to share or ask. And something that came up was um, this idea or practice, really, it's not just an idea, that in some places and in many places, midwives are, and I'll get right to it, this is one of the first ways midwives overuse technology, in my opinion, many midwives are relying on charting apps. So let's just break that down. Uh, midwives generally like to keep track of what's happening in a visit with a woman. And I get that. And I do that in my own way. This might mean you're charting her blood pressure. Uh, This might mean you're charting complaints that she shared, right? Charts are a huge topic on their own. And I don't consider myself a chart expert because I don't really care. I want to keep track of what's important. I found ways to do that. Yes, they involve paper for me. And ultimately, I don't rely on my brain for everything because I have a lot to remember, as I'm sure you do. So I'm not going to be arrogant and say, oh, I don't need to chart. I remember everything. Um, I definitely don't. But I also have very few clients at a time. And so it makes it easier to remember some stuff and to 
remember the energy of the visit. And so I don't generally write that down because to me, that becomes like a part of her story, a weaving of her experience. And I do remember that. Again, I do write down clinical details. So if someone wants all of that, you know, they've got their blood pressure, pulse, urine if they want it, um, fetal position, fetal heart rate, whatever, fundal height. I do write that down. I would never remember that stuff. But I'm old school and I like pen and paper. And I do occasionally write that down right then. I don't think there's anything wrong with that when I'm done palpating a belly and talking with the mom and the visit is over. Uh, either a student or myself will write the stuff down quick, you know, 100 over 80, blood pressure, fetal heart rate, 150s, whatever. Because, you know, once I'm out of that room, I may not remember. So I'm just explaining that it's not that I have any sort of problem with record keeping. Um, Do it if you want, you know, do it if it serves you. If you don't, that's an option. But I kind of think the mom then should have her own little journal or log. If I was that mom, I would want that. I mean, if I was going to the trouble of getting my blood pressure taken, I would want to know what it was. So I don't think it's stupid or, you know, um, without intention to keep track of stuff. Definitely not. However, the student call focused on, again, this idea of artificial charting, keeping people's information on a computer that saves right in the cloud saves on some god knows where (laughs) server somewhere um, and makes that in my mind obviously more accessible i don't care about what people think or say oh it's safe oh it's protected oh hipaa oh this um no none of our information is protected come on if you use a phone if you have a computer we're all doing the best we can but none of it's secure. So I wouldn't put somebody's personal information on the cloud because of that reason, even though, sure, maybe the woman doesn't care. You know, she's like, who cares if someone knows my blood pressure? Sure, that's, that's your, your information. You can do whatever you want with it. But as the midwife, as the go-between, I don't feel right about that. And I do think we should be cautious, not in a paranoid, fearful way, But all these licensed midwives that are doing that and then, you know, getting letters from their state and being fined and their charts aren't up to snuff, which is happening all of the time. They can't really hide, I'd imagine, because, you know, somewhere uh, someone has access to their charts. And I don't know that that's happened anywhere. I haven't necessarily heard that story. But again, why give them anything is what I would say. And... The more important part of this whole thing being that if you are charting in front of a woman on a screen, you are on a screen. I don't care what you think you're doing. Um, That just doesn't sit right with me. And so it comes back to intention. It's not my job to say all midwives shouldn't do that. I'm sure there are midwives that feel very validated in charting on a phone and staring at the phone the whole time for the reasons that they have, right? And one reason that I thought of that doesn't apply to me, so I am trying to put myself kind of in that place, would be the opposite of how I work, which is 
a clinic kind of situation. Imagine you have a different woman coming in every half hour, right? For the whole day. This is how some midwifery offices work. There are some midwives out there, home birth midwives, that literally attend 10 or more births a month. So when they have a prenatal day or days, they are packed. I get that. I get that there has to be a more unified system, or so we think. On the other hand, uh, I've been busy in the past. I've worked with busy midwives. Of course, midwives have been busy all through time, and somehow we've made do. We've done okay with the pen and paper. Uh, So it's all about where we're going and how we feel that these technological quote-unquote advancements are serving the women. So if you're a midwife, you might be annoyed. Maybe even if you're a student, you're like, hey, why is she criticizing that? Like the, the online app is so awesome and it's so easy and we can click buttons for, you know, is she been having uh, nausea? Check. Has she been having headaches? Check. Uh, vaginal discharge? Check. Like it makes it so easy. I can ask all the questions. And that is a whole other ball of wax, in my opinion. When I was reflecting on these couple of ways I wanted to talk about today, I realized that most of them, and I'm going to share, I think, just three today. um, I think most, if not all, come back to the fact that midwives are generally educated, home birth midwives that go through whatever process, maybe it's NARM, licensing, whatever, um, generally are being educated more in the medical model. So it's not their fault in a sense, but this is how they're being taught. So if you're a new midwife right now and you're going through the NARM process and you happen to work with a busy midwife, you're never going to see a pen and paper. You're never going to see that probably charting. So it's just where education has gone. It's just how, you know, we all have cell phones to a certain extent. Um, It's just the changes that happen. So can we go with them in some ways? Sure. But are we losing the essence of midwifery? And that's my focus. If your clients somehow really don't care, if you're staring at a screen and asking them questions off of a screen and that feels really right to you and your practice is thriving and everything is golden, go for it. But I feel like if people just sat back a minute, um, especially students, and reflected on this, you know, does this feel right? Um, When I have a woman in front of me and she's emoting or crying or sharing something personal from her life, does it really feel right to like go back to the screen and start asking these like robot questions? Um, Am I insecure with my own ability to lead a prenatal? that isn't mechanized. And that is what came up for me during our student meeting. And of course, with our students, I hope that's not true. I hope that they get to experience uh, prenatals with a midwife, frankly, that works the way I do, or you know, someone close who knows how to hold space, who knows how to ask difficult questions and be there in the awkward silence for a, a response or a sharing. Um, that's an art. And I don't think students are learning that. I think they're learning how to checkbox midwifery 
And that's really sad because that's not the best we can do. The medicalized world has shown us the bar is very low. So I think there are students and midwives that are like, well, this is better. I mean, the, mid- uh, the woman gets to come to my cute little office and sit on a cute little couch and, you know, her kid is doing puzzles next to her. This is midwifery care. Yeah, that's great and beautiful. And for that woman, that might make a huge difference. But what are we doing? What are we adding to really not do any better than the medical model? And again, I think this sort of question asking um, robotic way of conducting a prenatal has become really standard. And honestly, that just freaks me out. It just totally freaks me out that midwives and students aren't really being taught any kind of art of counseling. Um, Again, how do they have the difficult conversations? They don't. They don't. So many midwives I've talked to, or, you know, I'm not talking to them, but maybe they're, they're approaching us with a question or better yet, they might have a student that comes to us with something. Um, One example I can think of is a midwife who was retelling a birth story It was kind of traumatic and long and hard, one of those. And it came up in conversation that perhaps her client had had sexual abuse because it sounded like that in the story. It sounded like that was possible to me. And the midwife just kind of looked at me and she was like, I don't know. And I was like, well, did you ask? (laughs) No, I didn't ask. Um, I was never taught to like, ask that or like how do you ask that or how do you sit with that or how do you hold space if someone says yes and you know where do you go from there that's the reason I don't ask it I kind of like don't want to know because I don't know how to deal so I was like oh wow okay um thank you for being honest like that's really it's really fascinating so we're all learning it's not like uh I ask all the questions that could ever be asked, but I've learned over the years that there are things we can bring to the table that are outside of this form of prenatal care. And if you've never seen a prenatal form, I mean, you could probably go Google one. They're really stupid in a way, right? Like they're set to remind us and there's nothing wrong with that. I think the one I use does have some questions. Again, like, you know, um, extra cramping, uh, unusual headaches, right? Those questions are set there to remind us, maybe if we're super busy, that there are screening questions that may be important to ask. And again, I'm not disagreeing with that. But if you're not talking to the whole person, that becomes more relevant. And by that, I mean, If you're not really getting to know this woman, if you're not hearing her stories and listening closely and asking her what she's eating and how is her relationship and how is she sleeping and how is it feeling to be pregnant with her fifth baby and what's coming up for her and what fear, you know, the whole thing, then you should probably revert to the question asking. If you only have 15 minutes with a woman, you had better get to the point. Have you had any headaches, right? We don't want to miss, God forbid, someone with preeclampsia. So that's the reason for these robotic questionnaires and apps. They are not meant to replace a thinking, intuitive, 
feeling supportive midwife. And again, that's my goal for myself. I'm always striving (laughs) to be even better um, at this role. And that's, of course, what I think midwifery should be. I think it should be so comforting and nourishing and well-rounded that we would feel horrified to be looking at a screen. We would feel horrified to be resorting to checkbox question and answers for a woman that has invited us into her intimate sacred space. It's like those two things just don't go together for me. Woo. Okay. That was a little bit of a rant. To wrap that one up, though, uh, I think everybody has to sit with that themselves. And, you know, everybody knows I'm taking this somatic trauma training. It's something that I think we have to sit with before we pick up that computer or that phone to conduct a prenatal. I think we're hiding. And I say we, and I don't mean me because I don't do this. Um, I think collectively, you know, midwives are traumatized. I've been saying that lately. And I think there's a way to hide behind a phone or a screen that feels comforting. It doesn't put us on the spot. It doesn't make us look someone in the eye. It doesn't uh, allow for awkward silences that are necessary. And it doesn't make us feel vulnerable. And I think the vulnerability as a midwife in midwifery is really important. We are human as well. We feel, we emote, right? We have our own experiences And hiding behind a screen is just not how I want to be with the women that I serve. So that's me. Everybody should think for themselves, but doing it without thinking. And again, this applies more to students. Like if you're just seeing this and you think you have to take that on as that's midwifery and oh, how cool I have an app and I have an, I have a login and I have an NPI number. Just stop, stop and feel into that. Is that the midwife you want to be? Is that how you want to relate to people? And if it is, go for it. But if it's not, there's no reason you have to continue that. I don't care that it's 2023 and everything is on a phone. You can print out a paper, grab a pen and a cute folder or a notebook, whatever you want, and go about your practice that way. It does not need to be technologically advanced. This is relating to people and healthy people at that. So end of official rant. Ooh, I'm sure I have a million more things to say about that, though. Perhaps that should have been its own podcast because mm, there's so much more to it than that, I think. There's so much more. You've seen the studies, I'm sure. I'm not a study girl, but just being a human. Um, excuse my boba drinking and boba chewing here. Being a human... I am aware that even having your phone on the table, not looking at it, just a phone on the table while you're eating with someone makes them allegedly feel as if you're not paying attention to them. We know this and we're experiencing it all the time. You know, I'm out with my kids, my older kids who do have phones if they're 13 or older. And I regularly say to them, hey, put that thing away. Like I'm here with you. You don't need to look at that right now. And it's a discipline for me to do the same. So uh, if that's true, again, just put yourself in this pregnant woman's shoes of really wanting to trust your midwife, perhaps, right? Ideally, you want a close relationship. You don't have to be best friends, but you want to be able to trust this woman. You 
want to feel comfortable in sharing some of your experiences, like sexual trauma. That's kind of a big deal for most women. And if we're not supportive in asking and holding space, they're not going to share. And guess what? They don't always share anyway, phone or not. But again, I think the technology is really off-putting. So I guess I wasn't done with my rant. Imagine that. Okay, the next way I see midwives overusing technology, and again, it's not everybody. Don't take it personally. A lot of these midwives or students have never thought through anything else. So this is the opportunity perhaps for them to do that. I'm not demonizing the technology and I'm not shaming anybody. Uh, Of course, I don't think that's possible. To be shamed, you must accept shame. And I have no interest in that anyways. I'm just simply shining a light on the fact that we don't always need these tools. We just have been taught that we do. So let's rethink that. The second way is using a Doppler during a pregnancy. This gets me, especially when I see photos. And I don't know the context behind photos. I've definitely used the Doppler in pregnancy. I've used them in my own pregnancies at various points, right? When I had bleeding before my miscarriage, Uh, I've used them on my own body. I get that. And I've had many a client who maybe she had a loss. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she just wanted to hear her baby's heartbeat at nine or 10 weeks. Not my circus. I'm not going to tell anyone not to. All I'm going to say is, have you considered the benefits and the risks? Have you considered other ways to assess health? And the blatant truth about a Doppler, which is, I don't think they're the absolute devil, but I also just don't really know. That's the honest truth. I know for sure that there is not any risk to using a fetoscope. I know that. I know that for sure. I cannot say that about a Doppler. I'm not going to scare people. I'm not going to tell them it's going to kill their baby. I'm not going to, you know, make up stories about it. But I don't know. And chances are, neither do any of these women. So why are midwives not being taught to use a fetoscope? There is no risk. There is no risk, but it does take a skill. And we just had a retreat here answering the call to radical midwifery. These are not midwives. These are student midwives. And we did do some belly practicing, which was really fun. Um, And I realized uh, that using a fetoscope was new for many of them, even those that had had a little bit of experience Um, And that is always shocking to me because I learned on a fetoscope literally the minute I started apprenticing and my students do as well. We do not pull out a Doppler unless someone requests it and they don't learn on a Doppler. So they learn on a fetoscope. Um, So again, I guess what's our point here? What's our intention? And I think it again differs for everybody. So it's not for me to say But I do care about maintaining the skill set of a midwife from long ago. I love that in the most complicated of births, I've only ever needed my hands. I love that. I don't know. I'm just a purist. I'm just um, a minimalist. Like, I'm not someone, and this isn't better or worse, 
but I'm not someone that's like, oh, thank God I had those forceps and I feel really good about the way I use those. I mean, there are people like that. Dr. Stu brings forceps to birth. Good for him. I don't care at all. That's his thing. That's his skill set. But for me as a midwife, I think it's just such a beautiful thing that our hands can do pretty much anything we would need. And yes, they need to be skilled. They need to be loving and intuitive. And we can literally pray over our own hands and the hands of our midwives. I'll never forget when I did have my miscarriage, when Sable was about to exit my body, uh, I used a little bit of Cytotec, speaking of technology and drugs. That's a whole other story. You may or may not have heard it. Um, but my midwife, Diane, placed the Cytotec initially, which, you know, it was symbolic in a sense of her serving me. And I prayed over her hands. I did. I prayed over them for the best outcome for myself. And then later I had to shove the Cytotec up further with my own hands. So, um, you know, it's not that I needed her hands, but I desired and accepted her help and I prayed over them. And I think that made a huge difference because our hands carry all the energy literally when we're sitting, grounding and centering on the earth, right? Uh, Try it sometime. We receive energy through our left hand. And we give energy through our right hand. That's the flow. It's like we're little magnets. Um, So our hands are just gold. They are so special. And this goes for everybody. We just have to learn what we're doing with them and what our intentions are. So our intention literally comes through our hands. And I love that. And that's one reason that I use a fetoscope. I want to touch, you know, again, with permission always, I want to touch I want my hands to feel not just the position of this baby, but the energy of this baby, the personality, the color, whatever comes through for me from this baby um, as a gift is amazing. I don't want to have a block between myself and this baby. And I don't want to teach women that there needs to be a block for them to have connection. And a Doppler is just a big old block. Um, you know, they're not fun, I don't think. And I admit to having like some Doppler trauma, but I don't like the sound. I never have. I feel like it's very jarring and unsettling and kind of rough. And sure, if you're hearing a heartbeat at nine or 10 weeks and it's your baby, you'll cry. You'll cry out of joy and happiness. It's the most beautiful sound in the world. So I don't mean the actual heartbeat, but like the technology itself is not beautiful. It's rough and, um, you know, kind of crude, in my opinion. On the flip side, it can be helpful, but that's not for today. I'm talking about just normal pregnancies, sitting with a mom on her couch and saying, would you like to hear the heartbeat of your baby and plunking down a Doppler because you didn't learn anything else and you don't know anything else and you haven't thought through. And you can learn anytime, right? I don't care if you've been a midwife for 10 years, You can always get a fetoscope and you can humbly allow the women to teach you. The clients that I've had over the years regularly teach students uh, many skills workshops we've had where I've had clients come and when the students go to practice with the fetoscope, the uh, mother teaches the student. She places the fetoscope and says, here's my baby. So we can all do this. It's not hard, although there is a learning curve, but We don't have to feel embarrassed. We don't have to feel like we should know something we don't. 
So if you're a student and you're somebody that's being taught with a Doppler at your prenatals, um, I dare you to have a talk with your mentor, your preceptor, and just humbly ask, hey, can I start trying a fetoscope? And if she doesn't care or, you know, doesn't even know how, that's fine. Um, You'll figure it out and the mom might be of help to you. But I don't know why we're relying on this. Again, I think there is a little bit of laziness, if I dare say. And I think it's just mostly not being taught. And then I think it's um, this pride, this pride in using technology that midwives are increasingly reliant on. Uh, There's more pride involved than there probably was a long time ago, right? Midwives long ago, I think, shunned technology. And I'm not shunning it. So I don't think the pendulum needs to swing to the complete opposite side. But there needs to be some intention and using it as really, really needed and thinking about how it might make a woman feel and how that changes the relationship to her and her baby. Oh, wow, this is longer than I had wanted, but one more just for fun. Uh, Another way that I think midwives overuse technology is in lab work. Yep, I said it. It has become routine especially amongst licensed midwives, because they are quote unquote, required to order lab work. And again, it's not an all or nothing. So please don't misinterpret my words. I don't think lab work is useless. I think sometimes it can be really, really helpful. However, we have to have the intellect and the experience to have other pieces of the puzzle. So if you're working with a woman and you know her diet, it's really not that great. Uh, Maybe she's on her fifth pregnancy. She's kind of exhausted. Um, She's a vegetarian on top of it. And you're concerned she's maybe legitimately anemic, not like for fun anemic, (laughs) because there's that too, Um, kind of the overdiagnosed anemia of pregnancy. But you know, there's a real concern there. Honestly, I don't even think that woman absolutely has to have blood work. I think we can look at the full picture. We can maybe suggest lifestyle changes. Um, We can look at the emotional aspects of exhaustion for a mother that has that many kids. We can just go straight into nutritional therapy. So even in those cases, I don't think lab work is necessary. And That's easier for me to say after years and years of doing this only because I've, you know, I've seen the lab work. Um, So if I had somebody that was like, no, I really don't want lab work, then I would kind of cover the things I've just shared. Okay, Uh, you probably are anemic. We're kind of making that guess because you don't want lab work. But here's some things I'd love to talk about with you. Let's pay attention to these things and let's see if your symptoms improve. You know, are you less breathless? Are you um, less exhausted, etc.? However, because lab work is mandated in most places and is taught through most of the Meek accredited schools because of the mandated process, um, midwives don't know how to function without it. And I feel like that is a problem. Listen to what a woman's telling you. Find out what she's eating. Again, find out about her lifestyle, her activity level. Um, How often does she eat? You know, what's the quality of her food? Go over to her house, see it, go to the grocery store with her, watch her shop or, you know, not watch her, but like participate and maybe have suggestions. Lab work is a crutch for those that either don't understand how to look at the full picture or again, um, it's a mandated thing. And that I guess I'm just not going to touch because if you're licensed and it's mandated, then, you know, you think you have to. 
and that's probably not true, but I get it. Uh, Again, I know that midwives are being fined and all of this yucky stuff, but they agree to a license. So if you agree to it, then that's pretty much what you're going to get. But if that's not you and you just kind of think like, oh, well, midwives order lab work. Again, I think there is this arrogance in a sense for some midwives, not all. And, you know, I don't deny having been there years ago because I remember being really excited to have a lab account. Can you believe that? I was really excited. I had an MPI number. I was licensed. I was like official. I was a legitimate midwife. So I get it. And the truth is when I had a lab account and I had an MPI number, I ordered a whole lot more lab work. Go figure that one. So lab work being done routinely Again, do what you got to do. And some women might want it. So that's what comes first for me. If I have a client who's like, I want all of the blood work just because I want it, then I'm not going to argue with her. Okay, let's figure out how you're going to get that and I'll help you out. But most women, at least that come to home birth care, um, don't say that. They don't show up saying like, I want all the bells and whistles. That's probably not why they're choosing home birth. So it's the midwives that are like, well, to give good care, I have to have this and I have to have this and I have to have this and I have to know if you have STIs. And again, it's not that that's unimportant. It's not that in some demographics that isn't really important. So you have to know who you're working with. You have to know, you know, the group of people and maybe they're more at risk for something, right? And so you're going to pay attention to that. But in my own line of work here over the years through different demographic areas, um, it's been pretty much the same. I don't require any kind of labs. I don't require any kind of STI testing. We talk through that. We go through the options and I'll suggest it if it's, if it seems like it's warranted. And I also have as a disclaimer in my contract that, you know, this is a piece of the puzzle. Sometimes it's not my job to insist on labs, but if someone needs them, or, you know, wants them or is seemingly more at risk for something, then that can be a legitimate piece of information that we need. But relying on them for normal, healthy women as a part of normal midwifery care is a waste of money. And maybe nobody cares about that because most people have insurance and whatever. They think they're not paying for it. But, you know, someone's paying for it. And that woman has to go to a lab. She has to, you know, get a venipuncture. And again, um, it's just sort of an artificial part of midwifery that has become standard. I like to take a step back and just try and see things through a different lens for a minute. We are so used to that. Like I learned venipuncture. I was really good at it, actually. I like doing it. A lot of my clients had lab work. And now that I'm kind of on the other side, I look at it differently and I think, wow, like what a weird thing to include on a routine basis. Like what a weird thing, <laughs> right? To assume someone's really not healthy in one way or another. Um, and, and mostly, like I said earlier, to not have any education or tools around assessing the whole person seems worrisome for me. So another example, like for midwifery students who are like, oh, well, I don't want to miss anything. You know, I was taught to order all the things. Um, Sure, you know, do that for a while and see what you learn from it. 
And then as you're learning from it, and hopefully you're working with healthy people and you develop these other ways of knowing, you can maybe take a step back and say, you know, I'm not worried I'm going to miss anything ridiculous here. So if a woman is complaining of, you know, being excessively tired, or maybe she's had unusual weight gain or her hair is falling out, right? Thyroid, sure. Like, that's not crazy. You have to know what you might test for based on what you're being presented with. It's not about ignoring anybody's signs or symptoms, but it's about using your discretion and not over relying on this technology. um, Because the funny part is a lot of midwives that I feel are, from what I can see, overusing lab work, don't even know half the time when something's off. And I'm no lab expert, believe me, I I could not teach a class on lab values and pregnancy. I don't really even care that much, Uh, but I pay attention. And if I have any questions, I am not hesitant at all to ask another midwife or another colleague for feedback in hopes that I'm not misinterpreting it. I say this from experience. I've had a lot of clients over the years come from more medicalized midwives with a stack of paper. I've said that before. Lots of labs that were left uninterpreted, which blows my mind. So women coming with a stack and, you know, maybe really being anemic, but no one addressed it, even though all the paperwork, all the lab work was routine. So lots of routine testing, but no interpretation, which leaves the woman sort of in a worse state than you found her, which, of course, is definitely a drawback of some technologies. Humans cease to pay attention. They cease to ask good questions. They cease to, you know, use the tools and senses that we have because we have this reliance on the numbers and, oh, the test will tell me. Obviously, that is where I'm coming from. That is not true. That is not truth. And true midwifery, in my opinion, is using maybe all of these things I've talked about today in a way that makes sense for you, for your practice and for the woman in front of you. If any one of these things or all of these things is being used in a way that feels mindless or feels like it's taking away, then we need to question them. And I think when I say it like that, it really just all seems pretty simple to my mind. Okay, thank you so much for listening today. As you know, I have an in-person retreat here on Oahu in February. It's the Mothering the Mother postpartum retreat. We are going to learn the art of postpartum care, soak in this energy and learn to hold space for women after they've had babies. I'd love to see you there. The link is probably on our Instagram somewhere. And that's all for now. I hope you have a beautiful week.